This morning, as we look at the Word of God, I titled our lesson this morning, The Bottom Line. The Bottom Line. I want to read a verse of Scripture, two verses of Scripture from the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is what it says. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey His commandments. For this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Now those words in, in today's context seem very strange. Very strange certainly to our culture today. And if we'd ask ourselves why, why these two short paragraphs sound so different than anything that we hear out there today. Let me tell you, it's this. These two sentences are packed with what is called absolutes. Absolutes. The term absolutes means without restriction, without qualification. It means that it stands on its own. It is independent of anyone's arbitrary standard of measurement. We are told today constantly that there cannot be one truth because there's your truth and there's my truth. And your truth may be completely opposite to my truth, but if it's your truth, it's your truth, and if it's my truth, it's my truth. But this morning, we want to look at some of these absolutes that Solomon discovered. He says... Here is my final conclusion. What a powerful statement that is in and of itself. What he is saying is, uh, when I look at life and I boil it all down, this is the only thing that matters. When you boil off all of the rough and the things that have no value, this is the only thing that matters. And what really matters is this. Fear God, obey his commandments, Understand that this is for everyone and reckon this into the equation that one day God will judge everything we do, whether it's good or bad. Four absolutes there. And they hit us, or they should hit us, with devastating impact. All four of them are of divine origin, and they're not up for debate. They're absolutes. Now, sure, we can argue them if we want to. We can vote on them. I could take a poll right now and see which ones you agree with and think are good. But all of that really doesn't matter, because it won't change one single bit of those statements. Because we're not dealing here with relative values, uh, but we are dealing with absolute values. They're not debatable any more than gravity is debatable, or whether you need air to breathe. Now, we could debate gravity, whether it's there or not, whether it works, but every time you climb up to the top of the steeple and jump off, you're not going to fly. There's going to be a splat. All right? And you can do it over and over again. And it's going to be the same every time. Because gravity is absolute, and so are the commandments of God. Today we live in an environment of what has been called situational ethics. 
For the past 60 years, the cultural elites have done their best to convince us uh, to accept this illogical concept that absolutes are relative. Now those are two completely different concepts, but they're saying, no, they're equal. Absolutes can be relative. For example, God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. But today our culture says that's nonsense. Abstinence might be well and it might be good, but it's just not possible today in the world that we live in to be pure up until marriage. So God's commandment here in the situational ethics environment says basically this, thou shalt not commit adultery unless you just can't help yourself. You see, today, nothing is really good and nothing is really bad. It just depends on the situation that you find yourself in. And what may be good for you may be bad for me, and what may be good today might be bad tomorrow. Or what's bad today could be good tomorrow. God says, thou shalt not kill. But if the baby doesn't fit our plan or schedule, then we can snuff that life out and no one cares. Today we live in the gray realm of existentialism. My absolutes can be different than your absolutes. And all roads lead to heaven if you try hard enough. We've drunk the Kool-Aid and we readily declare, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And we identify with this. We all identify with this idea. I am the king of the world just as our ship sails into the iceberg. We are in control. Everything is relative. Everything is subject to my present situation that I find myself in right now. But this is a denial of reality because God's absolutes remain in force no matter how much I deny them. Paul put it this way, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. All right? You plant tomato seeds, you're going to get tomatoes. You plant what you think is a tomato seed, but it isn't, you're not going to get tomatoes. Dad loves to plant, if you know anything about him. And he'll probably have some tomato plants for some of you if you want them. But he planted what he thought was tomato seeds or in a pot that he planted tomato seeds and this other thing came out. And it's vining all over the place. And he's convinced it's not a tomato, all right? He thought it was a tomato in that pot, but it isn't. And it doesn't matter how, how sure we are that it's okay. If God's word says it's not, that's an absolute. And we will have to deal with it. 
the man who wrote the biblical text that we started out with this morning. Although he is considered one of the wisest men that ever lived, he was a very slow learner. His name was Solomon. He was the son of King David. He was born into wealth and prestige. And he became king, not through his own creative productivity, not because he worked and warred for it. He came into it just because he was born the son of David, and he was in line for the throne. The book of Ecclesiastes is really an autobiography of the things that he had learned along the way. And there is a lot of wisdom in it, but it was written late in his life. Early in his career, he thought and he bought into the theory of moral relativity. That morals are relative. The same thing that we're dealing with in our culture today. And he walked away from God's plan for his life. And to use his own phrase, he tried everything under the sun. Wasn't anything that if you came up, hey Solomon, let's try this. Okay, let's try it. And he tried it all. He tried higher education and he excelled at it. But his denial of God's moral law brought him into a deep spiritual slavery. He was knowledgeable. <clears throat> but in so many ways, he wasn't smart. He tried the various philosophies of men and denied the decrees of God. And he said, this is okay even, God's even though God's absolutes said it was not. And the exercise cost him a whirlwind of trouble in his life. Then he gave himself to pleasure. He was a playboy before anyone ever heard of Hugh Hefner. He knew more about women and sexual sin than a room full of pornographers. His life was shallow. He built monuments to himself. He accumulated a vast wealth. He embraced the heathen religions and the cults that were around him. And everything in the end, he said, was stale and left bitterness to his taste. And as he came to the end of his life, he summed it all up like this. He said, vanity, vanity. All is vanity. Another translation translates it meaningless. Everything is meaningless. All of this that I poured my life into, coming down, you boil it down, it was meaningless. And so after a lifelong of searching, he boils it all down. He said, it's summed up like this. I have reached this conclusion. I have found an absolute, and it is this, fear God, keep his commandments, that's the entire duty of every man. For one day, we will stand before our maker and we will be judged by him of everything that we have ever done, good or bad. What if Solomon had reached this conclusion as a young person, as he was starting out being a king, uh, when God spoke to him and gave him the desires of his heart, when he was praying there all alone as he was facing the idea of himself becoming king, and he was overwhelmed by that. But God gave him every desire of his heart, and he took it and just 
claimed it for his own and made himself king not only of Israel, but king of his own life. What if he had done it before he had given his life away to immorality and depravity and destituted his kingdom, a kingdom that as soon as he died was divided up and there was war and turmoil for generations? Moral relativism will cost you. And Solomon is saying here, you can count on it. This is a lie that Satan began in the Garden of Eden. That living outside of God's boundaries uh, is freedom. We see the wall around us, the fence, and we think, oh, if I could only be on the other side of the fence, I would be free. But that does not bring freedom. It's quite the opposite. When I deny God's absolutes, uh, all I do is buy a lifelong prison cell on death row. Because outside of the fence of God's boundaries uh, is sin. And this is what God says. Uh, and it's another one of his absolutes. When sin completes its work, it brings death. He said, if you want to get outside of the fence and graze on the pasture of sin, it brings death. And that's an absolute. You can go out there. You can call it what you want. But it is sin and it will bring eternal death to your life. Let's just quickly look at these four things that Solomon summed up and said, this is what it's all about. The first one is fear God. What does that mean? Does it mean I'm to live in continual terror of an angry God that will zap me with a lightning bolt if I don't do exactly what he says? No, that's not what he's talking about. There's no need to fear the love of God. But there is need to have fear of that day of judgment when I will stand before him and give an account. And he is saying that fear should motivate me to live in a way in which I will prepare myself for that day and that encounter. Do you fear God? Do you have a deep sense of awe of his presence? Do you live in light of the fact that you individually will give an account of everything of your life, good, bad, hidden, well-known. The Bible says, and Solomon also wrote this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Solomon had lost his fear of God. And it mattered not what God's law said, I can do whatever I want. And his lack of fear of God caused him to wander far, far outside the boundaries that God said we should live within. What is your relationship with God? Have you brought into the world's line that you can do your own thing and you won't have to answer to anyone, that you can slide by and God's not even going to notice it? If you have, you're kidding yourself. And one day you will sadly breathe Solomon's lament. Vanity, vanity, vanity. It's all vanity. It's all meaningless. 
In today's language, uh, Solomon is saying as he looked at his life, he is saying, I blew it. To come to the end of our life and to look back and have to say, I blew it. I blew it. I invested in all the wrong things. I lived my life by all the wrong values, and now I'm going to have to stand before God, and I'm going to have to give an account of everything in my life. Everything not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. The next act is obey his commandments. Why do you think God gave us laws? You know, in our... In our in our humanness, just to even hear God's law just kind of makes us, uh, you know, okay, here is my little box. And we just kind of repel from the idea of God's law, God's moral law, God's spiritual law. Is he some ogre in the sky that just wants all of humanity to live a dull, lifeless existence? Why did God give us laws? God gave us laws uh, to create boundaries. And those boundaries are for our well-being, for our protection. Just as you might create a boundary in, around your yard to keep wild animals out, to keep your children and your animals safe, uh, to provide that safe place to live without fear, God creates boundaries, his laws. Not... Not to say, oh, look, there's much better stuff over there, but you can't have it. But to say, here is a place where you can live in the fullness of all that I have created you to be, and you can live it in a way that when you stand before me, I will be pleased. If we can ream through a stop sign often enough, you're either going to kill somebody or you're going to get killed. You do it often enough, you're going to hit something. The stop sign is not there to, to keep you from enjoying driving a car. It isn't that the lawmakers say, how can we make people miserable? Let's just put stop signs up. That will make them miserable. But it was there, it's put there to keep you alive. And that sign is an absolute it doesn't say slow down. It doesn't say stop if you want to today. It means stop. Now we can go through that sign, but going through that sign has consequences. I was standing on our front porch when we were over at the old church, corner of Graham and Clarendon and Hyde, and they used to just fly up through there, coming up through Hyde. And so, the township decided to put a stop sign there. Well, some people thought it didn't apply to them. One day, the day I was out there, a young man come flying up through there on a motorcycle. Stop sign was there, but didn't apply to me today. And as he was going through the other way, came a pickup truck. And he T-boned that pickup pickup truck and went flying over it and landed in the road unconscious and had to be taken to the hospital. Some of us like that if the sign read something like this, stop. 
No stopping allowed at any time. So what do you do there? Well, whatever you want to. If you want to stop, stop. Or you can look down a little bit. Hey, I don't have to stop here anytime. Just keep right on going. And many of us look at God's laws like that. You know, God's law says stop, but culture puts a little addendum down here and says, you don't really have to obey this, and it's okay. We approve. But we can't change the consequences. God's laws are the same. They're not debatable. They're not there to engage you in an argument. They are put there for your obedience. God's laws are not up for discussion. They are to be obeyed. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Situational ethics says, obey God's laws if it's convenient. However, in your case, it might just be to your benefit not to obey them. Situational ethics thinks that by ignoring them, that we make them relative. But no matter how much we seek to rewrite them, we cannot avoid the consequences of disobeying God's law. God says, I will not be mocked. Someone has said it this way, no one has ever broken God's law. You know, when you break something, it ruins it. It makes it not usable. We are only broken ourselves upon God's law. When the Titanic hit the iceberg, uh, it was iceberg one, Titanic zero. And when we run into God's law and refuse to obey them, it's God's law one, me zero, because I have to face the consequences of not obeying God's law. The next absolute is this. He said, you fear God and obey his commandments, and this is everyone's duty. Everyone in the world, every one of us, there's no exceptions. God's law says this is for you. Solomon amassed a fortune that would have bedazzled the Gates and the Zuckerbergs and the, the, Z, the, the Bezos of Amazon. He had more women in his bedroom than Harvey Weinstein. He ruled with absolute authority. He had contemplated every illicit brew that, of immorality that people could imagine. And he went to his grave, a bitter, disillusioned, terribly disappointed man crying out that all of it amounted to vanity. It was meaningless. The duty of man, woman, every one of us, is to have a proper relationship with God. That's what it's all about, to have a proper relationship with God. And I am a failure if I come to the end of my life and I haven't figured that out. If at this moment you haven't figured it out, then you're failing as the very purpose that you are on this earth for. It matters not how many businesses you own, how many investments you may boast of, how much you are lauded by your peers. Your duty is to know God and to do what honors him. That's your number one priority. 
That's the imperative which we should live by. And yet, it is the last thing most people give consideration to. Our culture encourages us to thumb our nose at the gospel and, 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 and to make church irrelevant or an add-on in our life. And instead, do your own thing. Whatever, however you want to do, whatever makes you feel good, do it. Go for it. There's just one flaw with that presentation. There's one mar in that resume. And this was Solomon's final absolute. And his final absolute was this. God is going to judge everything. Every hidden thing, good or bad. You see, there is a payday coming. There is that day coming when every one of us are going to stand before Almighty God. God is the paymaster. He is the one that will determine that gate if, when you walk into eternity, which way we go? Heaven, hell. It won't be our friends that will cut that final check. It won't be the business community who is going to do the final audit. It won't be the titans of Hollywood that's going to give the final ratings determining what fits into the good or bad category. God will be the one that I stand face to face with. And no matter how much I might wish to escape his face, I will stand before God. And I will give an account for Bob Croft. I won't even be able to give an account for Cindy. I won't be able to give an account for my children. I will answer for Bob Croft. And the standard by which I will be judged will be this, God's word. God has given us his word. He's given us his standards. He's given us those boundaries. Have I lived by what God has said is best for me? As we stand before God at the great white throne judgment, there'll be no attorneys there to plead my case. There'll be no rebuttal witnesses that I can bring forth and say, but God, look at this. Have you thought of it this way, what that, you know, maybe what he meant to do with that, what he was really saying there. There is no polls that are going to be taken to gauge what the prevailing opinion of the moment would be. God's word is absolute, and that's what we are going to be judged by. God will simply look into the book of life to see if my name is entered there or not, and if it isn't, I will face the worst absolute and the final absolute of hearing him say, depart from me. Eternal separation from God. And Christians, the Bible says we too are going to give an account. And we are going to be judged. And we are going to be judged by what God has spoken into our lives and what we have done with it. You see, your relationship with God is everything. Your salvation is everything. Eternity is everything. And Solomon figured it out, but it was much too late in his life. And we can make the same mistake. 
We can make the same mistake by living by our impulses, living by the gauge of, of what is acceptable within society and fail to ever look and say what is acceptable to God. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is everyone's duty because God will judge everything we do, including every secret thing, both good and bad. So it's heaven or hell. It's God or Satan. It's righteousness or sin. That's the bottom line. And everything else in life is fluff. Doesn't mean that everything else is evil, but if we don't get this right, none of the rest of it matters. So what's your bottom line? Knowing that one day you will stand before God, the righteous judge, what are you going to do about life? My life, this life, this week's life. What are you doing about Jesus Christ? Heaven and hell await our answer. There are some absolutes that I'll either deal with them here and now, or I'll deal with them on that day. The absolutes we'll have to face. And we can either do it now, while we can change the total course of eternity, or we will stand there on that day and have to answer the absolutes. Solomon came to the final conclusion that he must fear God, obey the divine instructions for life, and that this is for him and everybody else. We're going to stand before God. This morning I ask you, who is king of your life? That's what Solomon wrestled with all of his life, and he lived his life almost all of his life saying, I'm the king. No one's stopping me. I can do whatever I want. Who is king of your life? Right now, who sets the boundaries in your life? What are the standards you live by do they come from God's inspired word or are they pretty much dictated by the poles of today of culture that says, yeah, this is okay now. Used to be bad, Bible maybe said, but it's okay, we accept it. It's, it's, it's within the parameters of culture. When we stand before God, it's not going to be culture that judges us. It will be God. Every one of us will stand before him. We're going to end up by just listening to a song. And as we listen to this song, I ask you to evaluate your life and ask yourself, who is king right now? Who, who's the one calling the shots? Is it me or is it God? I invite you, if you'd want to get up out of your seat and come to the altar to pray, we would love to pray with you. Let's ask ourselves that question this morning.
bow your heads with me. Father God, forgive us. We try to bring you down to our level to make you small so that our ideas and ideals look like they're okay. Lord, this is something we fight all the time and I pray that you will help us to surrender to your lordship. We will make you king. Maybe we shouldn't say make you king, allow you to be king, because you're king, whether we want you to be or not. We'll either acknowledge that now, or we will acknowledge it when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess on that day that you are Lord. Father, if there's anyone here this morning that is struggling with those issues, Pray, oh God, that they will find a place to get alone and talk to you about it or find someone that will help them through. Lord, I just pray that you would go with us to go out into a world that lives by a different standard, but we will not give in to that. We will live by the standard of your word. Help us to be faithful, we pray. We commit ourselves to you this day. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.